We are in the book of Ephesians, so turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. And we've entitled this series, or I've entitled this series, Vision, because what Paul is laboring to do is help us to see who we are as people who believe in Jesus. And, and not only to see who we are, but to see what is it that belongs to us. How, how does this faith shape who we are and our identity? Because if we had a clear understanding of who we are, where we are, then we'd be effective in what we are supposed to do. You know, when you think of humility, the definition of humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance, humbleness. But when it comes to a person who has an awareness and a faith in God, I think the word humility translates a little bit differently in that it's actually an accurate understanding of who we are. So it's not necessarily a low understanding, it's just recognizing who we are in respect to God and who He is. And it's important that we have this understanding because not only does it put us in the right attitude, but it makes what has been done so much more meaningful. When we recognize who God is and what God has done for us, it's overwhelming. But, but if we start from the wrong position, if we start from an attitude of we deserve this, or even if we start in, from an attitude of I just don't deserve God's love, I'm not worth God's love, and, and we push His grace away by the attitude we're missing the point. And so there's a little dance that needs to take place with this understanding of humility, understanding who we really are, but in that same place, that understanding who we are now includes a lot of benefits because of whose we are. And Paul is helping us to see that. He, he wants us to have a clear understanding and we get a little bit of idea even from himself, starting at verse 8, and we'll read from verse 8 through 13. It says, Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul refers to himself as the least of all the Lord's people. 
and it's it's as if he suddenly feels small in light of this incredible message that he is bringing. It's as if he is seeing things clearly. I, I am the least. In other words, I am carrying something that is too big for me to truly handle. I have a message that is going to change the entire world. Who am I to carry this message? And so he has the right attitude at the beginning. It's not one of pride. It's not like, hey, God has raised me up. I'm the apostle of the Gentiles. And, you know, I had visions and I corrected Peter, you know, that time. And, you know, my church, I've started how many churches? I can't even count how many churches I've started. We don't have this attitude. We have this attitude, I'm the least of all God's people. In light of this, I do not have the ability to carry the message that I am holding. In light of this message, he is small. He, he works this huge contrast between the messenger and the message. He, he's helping us to see that in light of what he's explaining, he is not what our focus should be on. And, and that's a great example. Our example is that the message is so amazing. It's not really about us. And yet so many times, especially in the Western society, pastors become celebrities. As if they are the ones who are carrying the, the ability. And really, if anyone is disclosing this message what we do is we have this incredible message. It doesn't take much to overwhelm people when you have a message that is this overwhelming. All you have to do is be clear of God's love and God can overwhelm. Oh yeah, some people are good at their you know, oratory skills and, and all these different things. And, and there are giftings in that way, but we can never lose sight of the message is just unbelievable. And, and as small as Paul was, the truth he handled was infinite. And he was aware of that. He, there was no mistaking what it was he was handling. Okay, this grace was given to me, even though... I am the least. Even though I can't handle this message, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. What a beautiful picture. The boundless riches of Christ. He, he's helping us to understand that there is more here than we can fully understand. And, and he continues that frame of thought and he says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. To make plain means to put the light on. It. In fact, some translations will, will have that word light. And, and it's the same idea that we actually have in chapter 1, verse 18, where he says that your, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Remember, Paul says that you yourself would be enlightened, aware of what it is that God is doing 
You see, God is working enlightenment on both ends. He's working it on the inside of us and then with the proclamation that he's given to us. He's helping us to understand. He's opening this avenue of understanding to us. What avenue? The boundless riches of Christ. This incredible message, he's giving us awareness to this. And whenever God reveals something, he reveals it so that it will have an effect. He reveals things so that they will produce something in our lives, in the lives of those who hear it. It's meant to provoke us to action, to a life. And so Paul presents these incredible truths, these profound just definition, and he even does it in in a poetic way. In verse 10, as he says, well, first he says, the administration of the mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. This is very poetic, what he's saying here. Why is he introducing some poetry here into this profound theological statement? Because it's not only to present ideas, it's to bring ideas to life. And that's why he's using words like boundless, riches, and uh, to make plain or enlighten or mystery. He's using these words to provoke Ideas, and he starts using a poetic language to bring life to that. Remember when we started doing the spoken word, when we started doing grassroots. I'll never forget the first time that people came, people who had never seen spoken word poetry, came and they heard these people talking, and it was amazing the response, how it just touched people, because their words brought life to their story. And I'll never forget, after that first spoken word poetry event that we had, I think we had like five people the next time want to share poetry, write poetry. Why? Because I've got a story to tell. It it struck a spark within their soul that said, oh, that's beautiful. I want to express this as well. And you see, the ideas that Paul is presenting here that are boundless, that are mysterious, that are enlightening are meant to spark something within us. They're meant to spark life within us. They're not just to present ideas. And it's an invitation to participate in what he's describing. And just like the poetry that was spoken to us, we heard the people, the the young women and men tell their stories. It provoked us to want to tell a story as well. Paul is trying to provoke us to take part of this story. He's wanting us to understand that, you know, this boundless riches of Christ, you know, this enlightening mystery that was never known but now has been revealed. You're a part of that. This is where you are. 
This is where you and I reside. And so he's using powerful language, poetic language, to pull into our hearts the truths that he's expressing here. We've talked about mystery before, making these things known, which is what God was intending to do all along. The the Jewish people had in their mind that it was just about their family, Abraham, the covenant that God made with Abraham. But we've talked about how the covenant was the promise that by Abraham, all the nations will be blessed. And so the Jewish mind thought, well, we are going to rule. When we rule, we're going to be overseeing all the nations and that's how they will be blessed. But they were in captivity. They could not rule because they were in captivity. Captivity was a result of sin, which meant something was wrong in their relationship with God. And so what they were thinking God needed to do was put them back into a place where they weren't under the Roman Empire, back into place of control. And God said, no, that wasn't my plan at all. My plan was to use the perfect Jew to complete the promise and through him all the nations would be blessed. And now we're seeing the fulfillment of all that. That was the mystery that God had put into that was there and now is making known at that time that was hidden in God. I love how it says it was hidden in God. God knew it all along. He had it. He was just holding it. Keeping a secret. It's almost as if he was exploding to tell the secret. When our children were younger, we took them out of school one day because we were going to go to Magic Mountain, but we didn't tell them. And we were taking them to school and we were pretending like we were going to drive them to school. I said, oh, I forgot. I have to take something to this client that's over here. I've got to go. Otherwise, I'll be late. And they were all in the car in their van, you know. And so we start driving like to Magic Mountain, right? You know, <laughs> start just driving over the hill and going there. Where are we going to go? We're going to miss school. I know. I'm sorry, but I got to get this over here. And like, well, I guess we'll just have the day off. You know, they're thinking it's a great day. And finally, you come over that hill and you come down and we pull off and there's Magic Mountain. They're like, oh, it's Magic Mountain. You know, and they're all excited. I knew where we were going. I knew it all along. I couldn't wait to get there. And I loved the surprise when they finally understood, oh, we're going to Magic Mountain. We're not going to school today. I know, I had my kids ditch school. It's not, (laughs) don't do this. But there was this joy in this expression, the mystery being revealed. It was a a promise that God had made that was now going to be completed. It, It was something that he was longing to see take place. And now it was. And what we're unfolding here again when we talk about this mystery, when we talk about the boundless riches of Christ, we're unfolding again the heart of God through all these things. When he talks about the grace given to me, it's it's not something I deserve. Here's something that God gave me. He, He made me a person who can bring this huge message to the world because remember the Gentiles were the rest of the world 
It wasn't just a few people in Rome or in Asia. It was basically going to be the world. God gave me the grace to be able to take this huge message to the world. God, this mystery that was never known, he's now made it known. Here it is. This beautiful mystery that's there, the the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority in heavenly places. He's helping us to see what God is doing and that we are a part of this work that he is doing. He says also in verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known. Through the church, not through what the church says, not through what the church believes, though it's vital what we say and what we believe, but rather through what the church is. Namely, it's the community which men, women, children of every race, every color, every social class has been brought into this family of God. We are now grafted in, as Paul says in Romans, brought to come together to worship the one true God. You know, we've been going through our core beliefs on Sundays. The first one is mission is why the church exists. We are here to take a message to the world. God has designed the church to be his agenda for the world. So it's important that the understanding of what church means is clear that it is not an organization, but that it is a body of people who believe. We are the church. We don't go to church. If we would grasp that understanding, it could change everything. So many people just go to church and never realize they are the church. But it is through the church that God is wanting to unfold this mystery, this wisdom. It is, it is through us who believe in him that the grace is given so that what Paul is doing, we too can do. Because by grace you were saved through faith. so that now we have the ability to take a message that is bigger than we can understand to the world. And it's important that we own this, that it is through the church that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Made known to everyone in all creation. It is our job See, Christ-like spirituality involves both love and humility. And love and humility cannot grow or be actualized in solitude. You cannot have a clear example of what love is if you're alone. can't have a clear attitude of what humility is if you're alone. 
And so this Christ-like spirituality, connection to God, involves our relationship with people. It revolves around that relationship. The love of God cannot be seen if it's not seen in the demonstration. It cannot be known just by understanding. It has to be an expression. It has to involve us and someone else. Same thing with humility. Christ-like humility involves our attitude with other people. Remember, Jesus, though he were God, did not think equality with God was something to be grasped for, but instead emptied himself and take, took upon himself the form of a servant, humbling himself even to death, the death of the cross. That was spirituality. That was humility. That was sacrificial love. That was our example. And so Paul is helping us to see that this incredible story that's unfolding, this remarkable mystery that is now being made known, we're a part of it. We're, we're in it. We have a role to play. And the role is, is a crucial one. Because it is through us, the church, that this wisdom of God is going to be known. What is the wisdom of God? It's faith in Jesus. And it's through us that this is going to be known. You see, and it has to be in that expression with other people. How do you learn patience without irritating people? Right? You don't learn patience without the irritation of others around you, resisting or disagreeing with you. And all this comes finally to the two basic theological ideas, the incarnation and the existence of the body of Christ on earth. See, in the Greek text, the word translated carried out in verse 11 is related to the workmanship in chapter 2, verse 10. We are his workmanship. It's a similar word to that that's used there, poema. It's again helping us to see our part in this role. This administrative role, this relational role is our being involved with it. It's being carried out through us according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. His eternal purpose. What is his eternal purpose? Faith in Christ worked out how? Through the church. Representing him, making it known to the world around us. And so Paul is once again helping us to see our identity, where we belong, but doing it again in a way that shows the humility and the reality that belong to those who follow Jesus. We have a message that is way too big for us. It's much too big for us. In verse 12, he says, In him 
And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. That's beautiful. See, the most important development of Paul's thought is faith in Jesus. It opens the door to our experience of God. The idea of freedom is that of boldness. The idea of confidence is totally outspokenness. There's no hesitation. It is in Jesus that we can discuss all things freely. We have access to God unhindered. This is one of the most beautiful revelations regarding our relationship with God through Jesus. And I know if you're like me and have been a part of this conversation for a while, this isn't anything new. But this should be something still overwhelming. Oh yeah, I know, I'm in Christ and so I can enter, even as Hebrews says, I can enter the, the throne of God with boldness, with confidence. I understand that. Okay, you know that, but do you understand what that means? Do I have a, a grasp of what this is saying? That I can go before God, the one who created heaven and earth, and I can go before him without any hindrance, without any hesitation of sharing any and everything, that I I don't have to censor my voice to God, that I, I don't have to make my words the right words, that I can scream if that's what prayer looks like, that I can cry if that's what prayer looks like, that I can groan if that's what prayer looks like if that's what the conversation is like i don't have to try and conform it to uh, the right words and i don't have to be eloquent and i don't have to use the right verbiage and i don't have to speak in a certain dialect i can just come and i can let it out whatever is in to god and he hears me whatever that looks like. There are times where I have yelled at God because of what is going on in me. Maybe the hurt. Maybe the betrayal. Maybe the confusion. And so I just explode. Romans tells us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And I have confidence that I can go before God in this way. I have freedom that I can go before God in this way. I know that He cares, He hears me, and He understands. You know, I was talking to someone just before we started here And there are so many things that we don't know about. But one thing we do know is the heart and character of God. And once again, he's telling us, I want you to come to me unashamed, unabashed, no no hesitation. You're free and confident. Anytime you come before me, you can come to me with the freedom and confidence to know I will hear 
anything that is in your heart and on your mind. Anything. But God, I feel pretty bad about these things. I can hear it. You think God doesn't know it already? Think God's going to be surprised? God, I've been thinking this. <gasps> what? How long have you been thinking that? Well, stop it right now. You should not think those things. God, I'm, I'm wondering if you really care. <gasps> How dare you think such things about me? God, I wonder if, if you're here and present with me. I, I wonder. <gasps> How dare you think such things? You ever thought, well, you can't talk to God about your doubts. You can't question God and, and say, God, I don't think you're really there. I don't think you're, you're hearing me. But have you ever noticed that there's all these examples of scriptures where that happens? Turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20 I want to read through an account of Jehoshaphat, and we're going to go through it pretty quickly, but it's one of these beautiful and honest encounters with God. And Jehoshaphat, they're being, they're about to engage in war with the Moabites and the Ammonites. They're coming down over them. Let's start at verse 5. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of, your, of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword or of judgment or plagues or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. Verse 10, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. In other words, God... It's your fault that they're coming here because you would not let us destroy them. I mean, that's really what he's saying. It's in nicer words, but he's saying, God, don't you remember you kept us from wiping them out and now here they are getting ready to wipe us out. Just wanting you to know, God, the story as I see it. Verse 11, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I just love this. 
God, do you see what's happening? It's a vast army and we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Have you ever been there? God, I don't know what to do. The circumstance is too big, but my eyes are on you. God, I don't know how to deal with this problem. I don't know how to deal with this sickness. I don't know how to deal with this financial problem. I don't know how to deal with this emotional problem. I don't know how to deal with these people in this situation. It's bigger than I can handle. And I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jehaliel, the son of, why do they have to give these names, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. As he stood up in the assembly, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. They were a big army. He wasn't denying the truth that was there. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeril. You will not have to fight the, this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord that the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Kohites and the Kohites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I love that. They praise God with a loud voice. I can hear a shout as they're praising God. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in the prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Jehoshaphat goes before God and said, God, this is too big for us. He tells God what the situation is and even tells God that, you know, you're the one who kept us from killing these people before and now they're coming after us. They're going to repay us in this way. God, I don't know what to do, so I'm coming to you. Honest, open prayer, and then they have this crazy battle strategy. Send out the people who sing. Just say, the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. You see, sometimes when we are faced 
with things that are too big for us. All we can do is count on the character of God. He is good and his mercy endures forever. Sometimes I, I don't know what the, the answer to the problem is. I don't know how the disease is going to resolve itself or if there will be healing or if it will get worse. I don't know how financially the business is going to do, if it'll pick up or if it'll slow down and it'll die. I don't know how circumstances are going to work out with these people or this situation, but I do know this, that you are good and your love endures forever. I do have confidence in you. I can come before you with this confidence and with this freedom to tell you exactly what is going on from my perspective because I now have a relationship with the living God where I can come and not be hindered in any way, not be censored in any way, to be bold and confident that he hears and not only does he hear, but he understands and he loves me. So that if I feel like shouting at God, I can. And if I feel like crying to God, I can. And if I feel like telling God, you said this and look at how it is now, I can. Now maybe I just don't see things clearly like Jehoshaphat. Maybe I don't have the big picture. I see this much of a picture that's this big. And maybe God is going to change things in the process, but I have freedom and confidence to come before him just like this. That I have that opportunity because it is in Jesus that we can discuss all these things freely. That access, this is one of the loveliest revelations regarding us and God because of Jesus is that access to God. And it's something we, I, take for granted. And he, he goes on and we see why this detour in verse 13, I ask you therefore not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Paul did not want his troubles to discourage them. Tribulations or suffering comes from the Greek word to squeeze. And what we might describe as physical or psychological or social pressure. Whatever creates a burden too great to bear. To lose heart, of course, is to despair, to, to give up. And Paul brings this up in other places, in Corinthians and in Galatians. And to add to the surplus of suffering on this planet, the, the things that happen. And Paul is wanting to bring light on the darkness and misery of some of the places that sometimes are so overwhelming that we feel we have no choice but to walk away. It's just too much for me to bear. I, I can't deal with it anymore. And what he's wanting to do is, again, bring this understanding that this darkness that we'd be swallowed up in without making any difference in can now be swallowed up because there is meaning behind our lives that is bigger than the circumstance that we are in. That again, this Christian spirituality has given the world another type of person. 
Remember, that's what he's been doing all along is you're no longer the Jews and you're no longer the Gentiles, that you are now a new humanity in Christ, he told us. And so now suffering is dealing with a new type of person, a person whom calamity cannot swallow up, but a person who actually can swallow that calamity with meaning and with purpose. And so here's Paul in jail saying, don't be discouraged because what's happening to me is happening for your glory. The circumstance that would look bleak and would look dark has been overcome. And isn't that what Jesus said? Be of good cheer. In the world, you will have persecution. You will have tribulation. But take courage. I've overcome the world. So what was overcoming you is now overcome by you. Because you are in me. I want you to think of your life and the things that are overwhelming. And I want you to think of God and His greatness and recognize the incredible riches of who God is. Now, those riches have been given to you. And so what's bigger, your circumstances and problems or or your God? And, And where are you exactly in your circumstances and problems or in God? Our perspective can change all of this. Otherwise, we'd be swallowed up without making any difference. But you see... Again, this spirituality has given the world another type of person, men and women who know their limitations but don't give up or lose heart. And it's because they know the unlimited resources of God that are available freely in Jesus. Do you see how Jesus changes everything? When Paul says, we are a new creation in Christ, old things have passed, behold, all things become new. It doesn't mean he just forgives our sin. He's made us a whole new humanity. That we are in relationship with the living creator of the universe. Why? Because we are in Christ. We belong to him. Paul's suffering was not meaningless or without purpose in its effect. He says, on your behalf and for your glory. So far from being disheartened, Paul's situation, it it served for their glory. I want you to see that God is in my life, so God is in this situation and it is furthering His plan for you. And I can do this because it is good For the purpose of God, my life has purpose even in the suffering. I've shared this story before. When I I went to visit a woman who was dying of cancer. And and I went there and she was in her, her wheelchair and the family had called me in. And it's always awkward. You know, you're going into this 
situation that is just difficult. And they want you to give something, some kind of help and say some kind of prayer. And, you know, I feel like I don't have anything. I don't know what to give to this woman. I, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't even know this woman. What am I doing here? That's okay. That's what's going on, honestly, in my mind. And so I, I'm standing there and the woman's just kind of comatose, just sitting in her chair. And the family kind of leaves us and say, well, here, and I go, well, okay, I'll pray for her. And so I'm sitting there and I am start praying for her. And you know that feeling you get when your eyes are closed, but you think someone's looking at you. So I'm sitting there and I'm praying for this woman. All of a sudden I, I peek and there she is staring at me, just uncomfortably close, just looking right at me. And I'm like, okay, hey, how are you? You're, you're still here with us, right? I mean, just, I'm kind of shocked and as she's looking at me maybe she was you know more aware because i started praying she heard but she was aware and she looked at me and she says my husband cries because of me and i'm like oh my gosh her family cries because of the condition that she's in, and she lives with an awareness of that. And I'm supposed to say something to her? And I just felt impressed that God has her here so he's not through with her. And I said, you know, you are still of use to God. You can still pray for your family. You still have the ear of God, the creator of heaven and earth, and he will hear you. And on behalf of those prayers for your family, you can be of service to your family by praying for them. And I shared that with her, and I thought it was pretty good at the time because I wasn't expecting to share anything. (laughs) And she sat up straight and she said, that's true. And then she kind of just closed her eyes and just went back. You see, no matter where you are in that situation, suffering is not meaningless and life is not meaningless when you have the ear of God at your disposal. Paul's situation served for their glory because Paul was there to continue his service to them because of God. And this is the effect of the revealed mystery regarding the world, the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 2.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory that you carry in you, the hope of the world. So, I want to look at at Paul. Who was Paul? Paul may have a lowly view of himself, but he is absolutely certain of who he is in Christ and what has been revealed to him and what he is to do. Paul is one of the most intentional men in Scripture. 
So he starts off, I'm the least of all the people of God, but he knows who he is. And he does what he needs to do because of who he is. Paul knows that he has been called to something big enough to be worth suffering for. No question. Do you know that? Oh, that's Paul. Paul, you know, he's been called to those things. Me, I'm just a dog trainer. Me, I'm just, you know, a cabinet maker. Me, I just push pens or, or whatever it is I do. Not me. You are a follower of Christ. The mystery of God is revealed in you. You don't go to church. You are the church. Wake up. You have the ear of God at your disposal. You have access. You have confidence before him. And he wants you to take hold of this mystery and appropriate it in your life. Because the world is going to be changed by people like you. It's what we've been called to. Paul knew exactly who he was and that he was called to something big enough to be worth suffering for. The whole center of this is about Jesus. To know Jesus is to understand and embrace his full title. He is the Christ, Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that Christ isn't a name, that God has designated him for a unique servant and son, the ultimate prophet of God, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king. Jesus is a name, and it was a common one at the time of Christ, but the word means Joshua in Hebrew, salvation. God's salvation. It is the name that defines him. Remember Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Lord is the title of honor that we give to him. God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess in heaven and in earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2, 9-11. Jesus is Lord, yet he is ours. We own him as the one whom we have surrendered our lives and destinies to. We are in him and he is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the last is you and I. Some of us need to be told you're not as big as you think. And others need to be told you're not as small as you think. But all of us need to know who we are if we are followers of Jesus. And it is knowing who we are and having something big enough to give our lives meaning that enable us to face the world, enable us to face the suffering of the world, enable us to do it without losing heart because we have life itself and that life cannot be conquered by any darkness. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. 
What shall I fear what man can do to me? If God is for me, who could be against me? Do you know that those words were spoken when the church was being persecuted, where Christians were being put to death? And they say, if God's for us, who? Oh, if they can destroy the body, oh well, don't fear them. That's all they can do. And us, that's all, that's everything. No, you're thinking too small. You're more than that. You are bigger than that. Do you know who you are? Because until we know who we are, we're going to live our lives without full meaning. You're not just a person who believes in Jesus. You are the light of the world. You're not just a person who goes to church. You are the church. You are the mystery that has been unfolding for ages. I'm just a person who, you know, believes in God. No, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. This is who we are. Do we have the eyes to see? Do we have the true humility to recognize that we carry a message that is bigger than we can comprehend? And it's waiting to be told through us. Let's pray. Father, these things are sobering. They are, at least for me, convicting. They, they challenge me to the core of who I am. And I, I wonder, God, what am I doing with the truths that have been revealed through these passages? How am I living in light of this understanding of who I'm supposed to be? And Lord, we we live in this world with other people and we are to be people who love, people who are humble, people who bring hope. And Lord, there's so many times where I lose sight of the world around me and I get focused in just the world in me and I forget what you have made me. And so God, I, I pray for hearts that would lean into this truth. I pray for eyes that would see and ears that would hear what you are saying here and and hearts that would take hold of the truths that you have opened to us through your servant Paul and that we too would be servants like Paul that would take hold of a message that is too big for us. But recognize that it is through us that this message is going to be spread. So Father, may we own who we are in you and may we recognize that as your children and because of Jesus that we have access to you confidence before you. It doesn't matter what we've done. It, we could never be good enough to gain presence before you. 
Lord, it's because of faith in Jesus and what He has done that we have this confidence, we have this boldness, we have this access. Lord, may we not take it for granted. Lord, may we make use of it for the benefit not only of ourselves, but for those around us. We do pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.